Hi, I'm your host, Candy Coleman, MAI, Head of Lender Strategy at Lightbox. And this is What's Behind the Lender Curtain, a limited release five episode series. We're talking all things valuation, appraisal, and focusing specifically on technology, data, and what's next in our field. Each episode, I'll be joined by industry professionals providing you with a holistic and balanced perspective, covering their challenges and opportunities so you can up your game in the valuation industry. Today on What's Behind the Lender Curtain, our topic is winning the assignment, best practices in the engagement process. Why bids matter? the data, the intel, and the summarization of what you provide and how report quality ensures your practice can withstand multiple business cycles. My guest with me today is Rich West, MAI. He's the general manager of the Lightbox Lender Evaluation business, overseeing several banking products, including RIMS, Collateral 360, Parcel, and the valuation business. Thanks for joining us, Rich. Yeah, thanks for including me, Candy. You being the host, nobody's really heard who you are. So I was going to turn the tables a little bit <laughs> and ask a little bit about your background. What landed you at Lightbox as our head of lender strategy as a, a chief appraiser for years and years? And tell us a little bit about your journey before we get, get into it. Well, it has been a journey. Thanks for asking, Rich. I have been in banking as a, as of this point for almost 20 years on the review appraiser and chief appraiser side of the world. And I thought, ironically, when I first went into banking, started out as a fee appraiser. And when I first went into banking, I thought I'd stay for two years and learn all there was to learn and then get back out and be a better appraiser because of it. Ironically enough, I found banking to be somewhat like the mafia. Once you are in, you know too much to get out. And I never thought I'd leave. So a few months ago, I came over here to Lightbox. And after being a chief appraiser, and now I'm using that knowledge here to help others in the field. So Rich, that's my history. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Thanks for inviting me to the first podcast. I started out running the copy machine at an appraisal <laughs> office in college yeah, years and years ago in the early 90s. Kind of got my basic education in appraisal, got a certified general license, spent about 10 years outside of appraisal on the investment side, raising money from institutions and investing on their behalf, and then got back into appraisal for about 15, 16 years at a big firm, big national firm. Started as a, a specialist appraiser in Southern California, focused on retail, kind of cut my teeth with that, learned a lot, and then got, got some opportunities with that big company to start managing the business, ran the Southern California region, the Western side of the US, and then eventually for a period of time, the Americas practice. So it was a, I kind of got to see the, the appraisal business from all angles as an individual producer and then a team leader and then, and then a manager got to deal with just wonderful clients like you. I mean, you were, you were one of our clients as the chief appraiser, really always respected your view of the industry, you know, you didn't just look at it from the perspective of this is what a client wants. You always looked at it from, well, what's best for the industry? You know, what, what's the overall goal that we have? But kind of closing my journey out, came over to Lightbox to run the valuation business and the lender business a couple of years ago, which is very based or heavy, heavily data dependent. We have a huge group of talented engineers that build SaaS software. I think you and I are kind of partners in crime, trying to tie together all the technical aspects of the business, the data, the platforms, 
to the industry needs. No, I certainly agree with your perspective. It's part of what brought me over to Lightbox is seeing all of the opportunities that we have for our industry to tie the workflow and the data together and to the duplicative nature of the overall real estate lifecycle. We're all kind of looking at the same data and rekeying and re-entering data all the time. And I just don't see that as efficient. And we're here. I think we have the op- we have an opportunity that many others are not poised to offer to the industry. And I'm really excited about some of the things that that we're doing. And thank you for your appraisal history. I always laugh when I find out how and why people have become appraisers. We say in the industry, many of you will say this too, all roads lead to appraisal. But it's it's also one of those industries where there are lots of different facets to it as well. And sounds like you're well-rounded in your background as well, Rich. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah no problem. So we're going to talk more today about Behind the Lender Curtain. I And the reason I named the podcast that particular title is because I think that to a lot of field appraisers that are providing services to lenders and others as well, but lenders can be a bit of an enigma. They ask for a lot of different things. You're dealing with lots of different perspectives and needs. And sometimes that can be really confusing to appraisers who may be really good at the appraisal process, but not so great necessarily about always understanding specifically what is driving the needs of their clients. And so I thought in the past, I've been on panels and that seems to be one of the topics that always gets great attendance at different venues when when we have a a panelist uh, or pardon me, a panel of chief appraisers and or those in the lending side of the industry. So today I thought we could talk a bit more about what goes on with lenders specifically around how to increase the odds that you're going to get the assignment that you put a bid out for. There's definitely some best practices that we can talk about in the RFP and engagement process. And with that, I thought we could start about why bids matter. It may seem like something you just sort of throw together at times and you're running a thousand miles a minute trying to get your appraisals done, answer questions, get back to your emails, get out and do inspections. But that bid process is a really important starting point with your client. And one of the areas, I believe, where they begin to start to rely on you as that industry expert that they need in the field as someone who's very familiar with the market that they're requesting services in. So Rich, I thought for you, having been on that side more recently than I, what was your process like in your most recent appraisal world when you would get a request from a lender for an appraisal? One of the biggest lessons that I learned over the years, and, and I learned from some you know, incredible mentors from the 90s all, all the way through kind of the, the modern era of data-rich appraisal, the first thing that we always tried to look at and the, the appraisal shops that I talked to, you know, from single, really small shops all the way up to big, the big enterprise firms is really understanding what is your client's client need. And what I mean by that is really understanding what, what goal do they have? Are they lending on a, a highly complex asset and they really need to understand key aspects about the property? They're a, a big tenant that is not likely to renew or is, is very likely to renew. How does that impact the cash flow? How does that impact the underwriting? So really understanding what your client is doing 
Another good example might be um, a client might say, look, you know, we've got this portfolio that we're lending on. We have a really low loan to value. It's all about speed because we need to close this thing quickly. We see this as a low risk asset. In the end, it's just understanding what your client's goals are so that you can tailor the scope of work that you're expecting to do, how you're going to communicate those results. And it's kind of funny because I, you know, I remember dealing with the folks that I worked with back at the big enterprise firm. A lot of times they would say, oh, you know, I'm so busy. I, I don't really have time to, to, to think about all these things. But in the end, what we found was if you just spend a little bit of time, a little extra time on the front side, you'll end up with a much better experience, not only for the appraiser, right? The appraiser that's, that's working on the project and, and, and the teams that are pulling the data together, but also on the client side, because you've understood what they're trying to do. You've communicated what they need at the right time. And in the end, you actually end up with a much better long-term relationship with that client. And you're not really going in into the relationship with a transactional mentality. We're really not trying to make this about fee. We're, we're trying to make this about how are we solving your problems? Of course, both of us are MAIs. And so I'll put a big caveat on all of this. We're not talking about making certain value for the client or anything like that. This is, this is about appropriate scope, about appropriate communication, obviously never, never violating your USPAP uh, responsibilities. Thanks for that insight, Rich. I think you touched on a lot of important points from the, the appraiser side of the equation. Can you give me an example of a time when that all went wrong? Because I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example that, that came to mind. I mean, I won't say it went wrong, but it was definitely one of those funny situations. So we got this call from a client. They were doing a you know, you'll laugh about this as a, as an ex banker, a 10% loan to value. <laughs> wow. That's so, a why bother sometimes, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it was a huge asset. There were something like 700, over 700 tenants, super complicated. It was a big regional mall, but they still had to have the appraisal, you know, and of course there's just, there's kind of minimum scope that you can do. And, you know, we're sitting down with a client. We said, look, we're going to have to see all the leases. You know, we need to model this whole thing. It's just, there's just kind of a base level of work that, that we just have to do. And, and the client's kind of laughing at us and, you know, in kind of a moment of candor, they said, they said, look, you guys could completely mess this thing up. We're going to throw this thing in the file and never look at it. And, and we acknowledged it. We just said, look, we know, <laughs> we know this is frustrating because th- that we have to do all this work and you're not really going to use it because the loan to value is so low. But once we really explained what our obligations were with respect to USPAP and so forth, their blood pressure definitely did go down a little bit and, and they understood it. And, you know, they were able to explain it to their borrower, like, why are we paying for this? So in the end, it worked out, but it was definitely one of the only situations that I ever ran into where a client said, oh, I'm going to essentially not look at your appraisal when I get it, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little depressing, you know, when you're reading a lease late at night, but. But, uh, that, yeah, but that, you you won't be depressed when you don't get a phone call from a reviewer asking you a million questions either, I'm sure. That is that is true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's definitely, I think, something that I've seen happen in the past too, where, you know, we sort of have to go through all these iterations of the process itself, and it's still time consuming, and it's still a lot of work, but it may or may not be relied upon in a great way. And, and that brings us to 
you know, the matters of compliance and regulatory requirements that the banks are up against. And that's something that we'll go into a bit more on a different podcast. But I still think it's an important factor to keep in the back of your mind if you are a fee appraiser and you are providing services to a lender. You need to be aware that there are a lot of issues around compliance and regulation that are required for the lender in this arena. And that's a lot of times what's driving their needs for the products and the services that they're asking for. As I think about this question and and why bids matter, there's a few things here that I think would be helpful to share with a fee appraiser that they may use from a best practice perspective. One of the things that you said, Rich, that really resonated with me is that you are seeking to create a relationship with your customers. And I think that is one of the best practices out there. I like to know who I'm ordering from and what to expect. I always say that surprises in the appraisal process are bad. So it's always a bit of a nail biter when I'm using a new appraiser and I may not know specifically what I'm going to get. You can look at sample reports, but really where the rubber meets the road is when you receive an actual report for collateral that you know, you're taking as a lender and you need that appraisal for the lending process. So that idea that you are creating relationships, long-term, hopefully, relationships with your customers is a really great practice. And I would encourage anyone that's a fee appraiser, when possible, to get out and meet face-to-face with your customers because it makes it easier for them not only to send you work, but I also encourage you to pick up the phone. When there's anything that may be out of the ordinary or something that needs to be discussed from an appraisal methodology perspective, the best thing you can do as a fee appraiser is reach out to that customer early and often and discuss your concerns about the collateral and or the assignment. And I think that too often we're all going a bit fast and we're relying on emails and technology services. They're all great. They definitely serve their purpose, but don't let that stop you from picking up the phone and calling your customer and chatting with them about any concerns or issues that you see about a property. Another consideration in this space that I think a lot of appraisers may not think about is the size of the institution and their level of sophistication can really vary widely depending on where your customers are, how large the bank is, do they have an appraisal department or are they utilizing someone within credit or underwriting or even production to order appraisals? You are the expert as the appraiser. You are there to help make the final determination of the scope of work. It's certainly something you can discuss with your customer, but ultimately the onus is on you to define that scope of work. I also think it's a really good practice, as I said, to know and understand that customer. What is their role in their institution? And are they well-versed in the appraisal process and or the collateral itself? If you try to provide one-size-fits-all services as an appraiser to every lender, you can get in trouble really quick because you may not have the best information coming from the lender itself. And it's a partnership. It truly is a partnership in that way. And that's where this idea of having a relationship with your customers is definitely encouraged. Yeah. So Candy, to your point, where we were talking about building a relationship, 
you know, the more that, that you have worked with a customer, the more they understand what your expertise is, the more you understand what their needs are, you end up with a situation where that extra time you've spent developing that relationship, you actually end up with a much more successful business because you you, you do understand that customer. Candy is is was just talking, you know, you were just talking about are they a small institution? Are they a big institution? Who are they regulated by? You know, as a fee appraiser, you're kind of scratching your head and going, it's all, you know, I don't get any of it. But the more you understand those things, the more you can understand why they're asking for uh, certain things, you know, whether it's certain reliance language in the report or a certain piece of analysis that you're kind of looking at and going, well, I don't understand why they need this analysis. Well, it's it could be there's a regulatory reason behind it. So all those little nuances that you that you pick up working for these clients over and over and over again, you just end up with a much better experience for, for you and your client. I would agree with that. And I think in particular, if you are seeing requests for things that you are not certain why they're asking you for some additional analysis or a different scope of work, that's definitely something that is worth discussing with your client so that you get a better understanding of their needs. And while I understand too that a lot of this seems very basic, we're coming off of record volumes in 2021 and things don't seem to be slowing down anytime soon in 2022. So, you know, everyone's out there running hard and fast, but ultimately, what about when things slow down? That is where this idea that you have a relationship with your customer, you are a relied upon and trusted partner in their lending process, along with your service levels and your report quality will go a long way in making certain that you're still getting business down the road, even if the volume is not what it is today. Yeah, absolutely. Going back on the theme of knowing your client, most of the time, uh, appraisers are late to the party. And what I mean by that, let's say you're working on a sale transaction. The seller has decided to sell the property. They've possibly hired a broker. The broker has put their their marketing package together. Then they've gone out to the market and then they've interviewed a bunch of buyers and signed confidentiality agreements and negotiated best and final and then went to contract. And then the buyer is now picking a lender. They're interviewing a bunch of lenders and then they pick the final lender and then it goes under application. The deposit is received by the lender. And then that's when the the lender on the origination side is typically ordering, you know, they're they're pushing the the need for the order over to the appraisal department. Well, if you kind of think about where you are in the whole transaction cycle at that point, you're late to the party, right? (laughs) Not that that's anybody's fault, because that's that's the natural progression. But at that point, everybody's anxious to close. Everybody is is really worried about any delays, any surprises. You know, that's part of the reason why good chief appraisers are very, very good at hiring appraisers that don't surprise them. And in, in included in that is uh, not only great communication, turning reports in on time, but the, the second topic that we had mentioned a little earlier, which is report quality. When that report hits your client's desk, it's really high quality. They're, they're, they're going through it. This makes sense. This analysis is great. They've reconciled the sale price. They've analyzed what's going on in the market. I can sign off on this and move on. 
that's going to lower everybody's blood pressure. They're trying to get that transaction closed and you haven't surprised anybody. And that's certainly a best practice. <laughs> Surprises are bad in the appraisal process. I have a question for the listeners to think about, and then we can talk about this a little bit, Rich, but if you're a fee appraiser, what is your capture rate of the bid requests that you receive? Is it 50%? Is it north of that? Is it south of that? And have you ever wondered why? Do you know why? If it's not as high as you would like it to be, why is that? I can tell you that as lenders, we consider it a best practice on our day-to-day normal work to send out bids to two to three, maybe four of the individuals that we consider qualified to complete the work on any given appraisal. We try not to send out a shotgun bid request. We're not including 20 appraisers, we really don't want to take your time and have you research the property and the details within the RFP unless we're really serious about engaging you. So even there, if you have two appraisers that we're sending out an RFP to, only one person is going to get the assignment. With that thought, Richard, is there anything that you can think of from your experience um, as a fee appraiser that you think helped you to increase your capture rate of an RFP. Yeah, absolutely. When I was the, the big enterprise firm, we studied our bid rates and win rates and, and reasons behind wins and losses extensively. And then since coming over to Lightbox almost a little under two years ago, I've analyzed patterns over a much larger data set. There's a couple takeaways that I've that they've kind of lined up not only with the data that I've seen but also just my day-to-day experience over the past uh, 15 years. Like typically if you have a really good client where they trust you, you know, you have a, you have a great track record with them. You're able to articulate, Hey, this is what we've delivered in the past. This is what our on-time rate is. This is what the perceived quality is. This is the the kind of communication that, that we have provided to this client. I found with those kind of Clients, I call them, you know, the ones you're kind of married to, right? You know, these are your top tier clients. You're typically seeing anywhere from 40 to 50% win rates, which is really, really high. As an appraiser, you know, of course, you never like your client working with any other appraiser, but that's the reality, right? You can't, clients just can't have, have one appraiser typically. And then you kind of start going down the scale. You know, when you have more of a transactional client that you kind of know them, but not really. And they trust you. They, they think your work's okay. Your win weights are going to drop way down. You know, you're kind of getting into that 15%, maybe 20, maybe approaching 25, a decent transactional client. And then we've all had these clients as appraisers, you know, you seem to, to get those bids and, and uh, your win rate is, is very, very low, you know, your, you know, 5% range. Uh, and, and, you know, and those are the ones we, we would kind of call them, you know, we're just the bidding fodder. They needed another <laughs> a, a bid to just show that they that they did bid it out. And, and, I'm, and I'm talking about it from, from the appraiser's perspective on, on the fee shop side. So really, you know, the advice that I would give, really understand what your bidding activity looks like. You know, what is your success rate with the clients? Uh, on the ones that you're really successful with, what are you doing right? And on the ones that you're not, calling those folks up and just saying, hey, you know, we've got sort of a week, we've got some week interactions going on here. There's some bidding activity, but, 
you know, we really haven't worked together and ask them why. Is there something that we, you know, maybe delivered that was, uh, didn't meet expectations or, but in the end, if you actually put the work into that, analyze the data, I, I always kind of think of it as, yeah, I'm spending some time up front um, where I'm not producing an appraisal. I actually think that time is more valuable than, than even producing appraisal reports because you end up setting your business up to uh, withstand those business cycles as, as, they, as they come through. I think that's really good advice, Rich. I think it's very insightful. In regard to my experience in my time in the seat within in a banking institution, I can also tell you this. When I received an email or a phone call from an appraiser that I sent out a bid request to, and they call me and they say, did you know X, Y, or Z about this property? Did you know X, Y, or Z about this market? Whatever it is that you think, um, and this isn't every deal, but there are certainly deals, maybe one out of 10, where it's worth picking up the phone to make certain that your customer really understands that collateral. Those are the appraisers that I really learned to rely upon as the experts that they should be within their own markets. And quite often, they were providing me with additional color or a you know, quick analysis or news about collateral that I, within the appraisal department, and perhaps even my lender, wasn't even aware of. So one of the best and quickest ways to prove yourself as a professional in your market is to handle it from that consulting perspective and really make sure that your customer understands that collateral. And part of the weaknesses, I think, or weakness in our, in our banking process quite often is that the information on the collateral we, we, that we take as a lender comes in from the customer through a relationship manager or lender. They have lots of different names in that space, but ultimately it's the, the person, the loan officer that's helping the customer throughout the loan process. And there may be varying levels of understanding and expertise of real estate analysis in that space. And quite often, they're the ones that are collecting the data on the collateral that's then shared with the appraisal department. It's sort of like playing telephone, if you will. The information goes from the customer to the loan officer, then to the appraisal department. Now, the appraisal department is sending out to a fee appraiser to obtain a bid. And we may or may not have the best information about that collateral. So you, as an expert in your market appraiser, should make sure that if there's anything noteworthy about that property or anything that could flavor or color the analysis that you would complete as part of the appraisal process, make sure that's known to the lender because that's really going to help you stand out as a professional and a consultant in your market. Yeah, it's funny when you're you're talking about that. It reminded me of a of a situation once where we had we had looked at a property that was for sale, and we'd read through the offering memorandum. We were just using it as a listing transaction for for another deal that we were appraising, and so that same deal actually came through as a request for proposal. Call it a month later or whatever. And I remembered when I was looking at the OM. It was a, a neighborhood shopping center that had a, a grocery anchor. And it, it stuck, kind of stuck out to me when we looked at the deal when it was on the market. The anchor had kind of weak sales. There was kind of chatter in the market that that, 
grocer wasn't going to renew their lease, which triggered a bunch of co-tenancy clauses in the in the shop tenants, you know, where they could leave if the anchor left. So when that when that bid came in, you know, that was kind of the first question we asked. You know, when this thing was in the market a, a month ago, these are some of the things that we heard. Are these conditions of close, or you know, how are you handling these issues? Because we're gonna we're gonna analyze that stuff when we do the appraisal. We actually quoted the fee a bit high, higher than we normally would, because we knew there was going to be some fairly kind of kind of additional analysis that we would have to do to deal with all that. The client awarded us the assignment. They said this is great because it gives us time to deal with this and underwriting, and we really appreciate it. And and we just put that in the bid comments. And I think we made a phone call down the road that actually ended up becoming a client that we worked with for years and years and years, just because of that, that one deal. And that's how it happens. And that's how those partnerships are created. Yep. It's a great example. So along the lines of why bids matter, and I said earlier, we'd be talking about data and Intel around bidding and the bidding process. I was wondering, Rich, if you could talk a little bit about when you would receive an RFP from a customer, what goes into your process around providing an RFP and what kind of research does that require and how long does that take? So I'll start with what the overall goal is. We wanted to reduce uncertainty. An example would be going to pull all the previous assignments we've done in the area to communicate to the client. This is the previous experience that we have. We know this market. The other thing that we would do is confirm what the actual subject was. Does it include the excess land? Is it, you know, is there a common area that you have to account for, whatever? And then also looking at who's actually going to work on it. You know, what does our capacity look like so that when we quote the fastest time and then maybe, you know, maybe the optimal time for our uh, schedule, we can deliver what we committed to deliver, which is obviously super critical. It goes back to that, that meeting expectations and not, <laughs> not giving anyone any surprises, which is always bad. You know, this used to take, gosh, it was, it's, it's pretty time consuming. I mean, when you really do it right through technology, you can actually surface that data uh, very quickly now. Shameless plug, we've actually built a lot of this stuff into the valuation product if your listeners haven't checked that out. Hopefully that kind of gives you a sense of the process that we followed over the years. It does. Thanks for that. I think, you know, as it relates to report quality and the overall customer service component that, that's related to our appraisal process, it really does start with a good bid. And I found that my appraisers that I relied upon the most were really thorough in the research that they performed on any specific collateral uh, when they received an RFP. And so I would encourage listeners and appraisers out there to make sure that you really have a good understanding of, of the property prior to providing a bid. And of course, I know the desire out there is to do that as quickly and efficiently as possible. If you're, you know, Rich, you're talking about being happy with a 50% capture rate on, on that bid process. No one wants to waste their time. Everybody's busy. I get that. But providing really great information and really understanding that collateral is uh, a start to an overall great process from an appraisal perspective, because it leads to really great report quality as well as timely delivery. And I'm here to tell you, timely delivery matters. So, Rich, are there any tidbits that you would have to discuss around 
report quality and creating that final product or best practices out there for appraisers that are in the field? Quality is is in the eye of the beholder in, in some ways, but if you kind of break it down, it really is consistency. If you can do something consistently over and over and over again, always looking at the process that you're that you're going through when you're identifying the the collateral and putting together your approach on how you're going to analyze the appraisal problem, how you're going to do the research. So the more that you can make things consistent, so you can analyze it and make it better. And again, we've built a research process utilizes technology so that you can do things the same way over and over and over again and deliver that consistency and that quality. Kind of going back to a comment that we made a little earlier, when what you're delivering to the client is on time or early, you have communicated ahead of time any any issues that you found during the process. And then when they get that appraisal, they're not surprised. It's a very consistent experience from their perspective. They know where things are. Level of analysis makes sense. That's when you end up with a repeat customer. That is an important part of the process. And we joke in our field that we're only as good as our last appraisal report. <laughs> so I kind of want to minimize those bad days and certainly minimize those bad reports. So a consistent product is what's going to keep you winning business every time, for sure. Knowing as a lender you know, and a user of appraisal reports, knowing where to look in a report on a consistent basis is something I always really appreciated. And so I know that when I had an appraiser that I used often, I knew their reports, I knew where to find things, I knew where to find exhibits. And so all of those pieces stack up and really matter in winning that award. I want to thank Rich for joining us today and providing really valuable insights. For all of our listeners, I'm your host, Candy Coleman, and thank you for tuning into What's Behind the Lender Curtain, a Lightbox podcast. Lightbox is the world's leading property intelligence platform. We integrate real estate and location data solutions and facilitate industry connections with clients ranging from top technology companies and government agencies to regional real estate developers. Our goal is to empower confident, data-driven decisions across sectors. Learn more at lightboxre.com.